Good morning, everybody. How are you? I am so blessed to be a part of this amazing church and this amazing celebration. Five years, y'all. You know, I know that that's not a lot of years, and especially in some of your all chronological uh, time clocks, but five years, when I think back of where this church came from, in fact, I'm thinking back five years ago when we were launching this church. And uh, you want to talk about a sleepless night. You want to talk about a long toil all night. We're actually going to talk about that today, but I'm excited to be here. And I just want to say, first of all, I want to make some acknowledgments. You all have some of the most amazing leaders. And you are blessed. And I know maybe that doesn't always come through in, in, in every detail of your walk here at Freedom Church, but I can tell you just from my heart, from Cheryl's heart, that... Man, they love you. They love the Lord, and they are striving to hear from him to lead you into that place to help you develop and find your freedom and purpose in life. And uh, they do it with such diligence, with such integrity, and I am proud. You know what? I'm too young to be his papa. (laughs) Too young to be his daddy, but I'm telling you, I feel like a proud papa today that I'm just so proud of these guys and what God has accomplished through them, but it's because of your faithfulness, because of the steps of faith you have taken to call this place home and invest yourself, not only in the kingdom of God, but in this local body right here. And I'm just super proud of them, and uh, I just want you, they're right there in the back looking all cute, cuddled up back there, (laughs) but I want you just to stand up, turn to them, and let's give them a huge round of applause for what God is doing in this place. Amen. Amen. And just while you're standing, Cheryl, if you can just stand up. This is my beautiful wife, Cheryl. And uh, we've been married now 20-something years. I, I always forget the number. It's like 26, 27, somewhere around there. Um, but yeah, it's like a quarter century. And uh, best years of my life, it has. But thank you for reminding me to say that right now, because that's super important. But yeah, so my first trip to Camden, Arkansas, I didn't even know the place existed uh, five years ago. Yeah, yeah, most people don't. But you know what? When you come here, you feel home, you feel love, you feel real people. And I love that. And I tell you, I'm from California. You don't always find that. And so it's just good to hang out with you guys. And now this is my fourth trip here, actually. And uh, some of you were here from that very first Sunday, weren't you? Raise your hand if you were here for the very first Sunday. Wow, that is awesome. And uh, so I've, I've had the privilege of being able to, to Scott and Stephanie taking us around Camden and showing us all the sights and attractions of Camden. Yeah, it was a quick 10 minute trip, but, but we loved it, absolutely loved it. But I had my first cup of coffee at a place called The Perfect Cup. Now, um, I later learned that The Perfect Cup, and I'm not advocating one or another, it was a great place. But the Perfect Cup is a part of a collection of a larger establishment called the Perfects. Now, I know I'm telling you something you already know, so maybe it's just for you California folk. But here it is, this, this place called the Perfects, and, and I just found it fascinating. And as I'm preparing for today's message, I'm thinking to myself, God, give me, give me that theme. Give me, what is it that you want to speak to the people at Freedom Church? And this word kept coming up, and it was the word Perfect. Now, this idea of perfection is actually something I find quite fascinating. And the definition of perfection is simply to be entirely without fault or defect. 
completely without any faults or any defects. And can I get a show of hands to all the perfectionists in the house today? You're gonna to confess today, it's okay. We're, we're here in the Holy Spirit. I'm a prof- I've got a problem. I just wanna confess that to you today. I struggle with perfection. Did you all see Scott move this flower over? Yeah, no, that's the disease I'm talking about. I mean, I'm, I'm sick with it. It's bad for me because like when I walk into a public bathroom, public bathroom, and I'm seeing that there's pee all over the toilet ram, I'm cleaning it. Yeah. Like before I leave, I'm trying to leave it better than I found it, some, some sick and twisted thing going on in me. I'm, I'm just that way. And, and the other thing that if I use, if I look at a bathroom and I see the toilet roll doesn't fold over the roll, yeah. like I gotta stop what I'm doing and fix that, right? If I come over to your house, I'm fixing your toilet roll. Um, that's just, it's, it's, it's what's in me. But, but here's the thing now, it's okay to have a good quality of like detail-oriented. You know, I want things just so, and, and I want things right. That's a good quality habit. How many of you know it can grow to be an obsession where it actually is deep-rooted and seated pride that's inside of us? And that's where perfection can become a problem. So, let me tell you, the title of my message today is The Perfect Church. No pressure. Amen. Now, at the end of your Bible, there's the book of Revelation. There's seven letters written to seven churches. And, and these letters are profound letters. It was written by the Apostle John as the revelation came from him on the island of Patmos. And these were actually seven churches. There were seven churches that existed. They were on an Asia Minor trade route. So it was very populated. A lot of people went through this trade route and the letters went to seven churches that were on this route. So there was a lot of exposure. A lot of people knew about these churches. And John wrote these letters to them. Now, here's the thing about it. I'm not gonna get into the letters, but they were written to churches in that time. This is about 95 AD. And as these letters were written, it was about things going on in those specific churches, but it was so pertinent in that day as it is today. It was really a letter to the church, Big C Church, the Western World Church. And so, I mean, these churches were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They had deceit in the churches. They had idolatry, sexual immorality. They, had, they suffered from losing their first love, falling away from why they were doing it in the first place. They had a whole lot going on, suffering, forsaking God, and being downright dead. So these letters were an admonishment and an encouragement. My prayer for you today, I ask God in this anniversary message, what would be your letter to the church in Camden? What would that letter look like if God was wanting to send you a message today to equip you, to encourage you, maybe even to warn you? So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. That's in the gospel messages, the book of Luke chapter five. I'm gonna begin right at the, at the beginning, uh, verse one through 11. I'm gonna read it. It's also gonna be up on the screen if you need that. So I'm gonna jump right in. You can just catch up with me. Verse one, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed, now, if you're a Bible marker, you highlight, you circle, you underline. I wanna just have you do this for this particular message. He noticed two empty boats. Go ahead and circle that, empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them 
and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out to the water. Then circle this. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now, circle this, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And at this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught and were the others with him, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, now circle this, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Father God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, let your Holy Spirit continue to dwell among this place and in these people. God, lead us to where you want us to go in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, the story that we just read in Scripture is what I would call a microcosm. A microcosm just simply means a set of circumstances or a situation that encapsulates in miniature something that is of much larger significance. So kind of like a mini version of a much larger picture. So what we see in this story that we just read is a microcosm of something much larger. Now, listen, everybody, I understand Faith in 2024 is no joke. It's no small task to have faith in the culture and the environments in which we live. But I want to encourage you as we reflect over the past five years of Freedom Church, we want to also equip ourselves for the next five that God's taken us to. There's four qualities that I want to draw out from this passage of scripture that we read. I believe that we as individuals and as a church this is a cycle that we go through in various phases and cycles in our life, not only in just our life in general, but also specifically our faith journey. And I'm just going to list these. You don't have to put them up. I'm just going to list them, and then we're going to go through them one by one and unpack it. The quality of empty. Second, the quality of grace. Third, the quality of the deep. And fourth, the quality of the strong. First, the empty. Let's talk about this. The disciples were on this boat. They were on this boat all night working. Now, when we say that they were fishing, we read that. Now, now I'm thinking back in the day when I would fish on a riverside, I'd be like in a lawn chair and I'm just kicking back and I got a pole in the water, right? Just waiting for that little thing to move. And, and you know, you're eating chips with smelly fishy hands. You're, you're just hanging out fishing. It's a very relaxing, hopefully a relaxing experience. Some of you are a little more extreme. You're out there in waders and you're actually getting after it, right? Fishing is a little bit of work. These guys fishing was actually a lot of hard work. They had heavy nets that they're gathering together. They're casting out into the sea and they're spreading it out and they're drawing it in and hoping that there's some type of harvest. They're pulling the nets back in, getting it all situated again just to repeat it. And they do it all night long. The reason they do it at night is because the fish can't see the net. And so they do this at nighttime. The fish are swimming. They're like, boom, we're caught in a net. But for this particular night, the disciples had been at it all night long and they caught nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
Let me tell you something. Sleeplessness, hard work, and frustration, when all of that leads to an empty boat, that can really mess with you, can't it? Not just empty of fish. This boat was empty, not only of fish, but the fishermen had left the boat as well. It was just an empty boat. I want to tell you something. In this church, there have been a lot of long, hard nights. In fact, I just mentioned that first night. This stinking drum cage right here, we were working on this thing till three in the morning, went home, took a little nap, came back at it, and we were working on it. It was all night. And how many times has Pastor Scott and Stephanie and many of you that are here today worked all night, working and working and working, not even knowing if anyone was going to show up, but just staying at it, staying faithful to work and to give it all you've got, but how frustrating that that can be. Now, what does an empty boat have to do with a perfect church? I mean, could it be that the church is almost full here today? doesn't look like an empty boat, but maybe what we really have is a bunch of broken people that have been deceived by the lies of this world, and now you're here looking for hope. Or maybe now you're here and you've found hope. But you were once empty, weren't you? The struggle of sin is real. Maybe that the people who actually leave the boat because they've been offended, is a better picture of the perfect church. I mean, the answer is, yeah, that's what the church looks like. It's a whole lot of mess, a whole lot of brokenness, a whole lot of emptiness. The church looks a lot like, and our lives can look like, a lot like an empty boat. I mean, how many times have you and I just sought before God for a whole night, just praying and saying, God, come on, you got to come through for me. God, I need you. I need you right now when you're toiling and you're working and you're, you're casting out anything just to retrieve something of value. In our faith journeys, we can have those long nights and in the morning hours we wake up or we get up from our knees and we've been seeking God and really doing all the things. But what we find is we're still in just an empty boat. Nothing's changed. I want to tell you something. There's power in the empty there's a lot of power in the empty because, man, when you're fighting for a loved one, when you're wondering, man, I'm trying to do all the things right to raise these kids the right way. I'm giving it all I've got. And, and, and you're also feeling like you're losing at life, like, like nothing's coming together. Everything I try to do, nothing is happening. You're sitting in an empty boat. But I want to tell you something. Jesus sees you. One of the greatest things to know when you're going through a difficult time, when you've been trying all night and you're left with an empty boat, is just to know that God sees that. Sometimes that's the only reprieve that there is. God sees it. That he's at work in the darkness of our lives. Sometimes we don't get the answer yet, but just knowing that God sees where we're at. I mean, the apostle Paul, he came to God and he's like, Okay, God, I've been, I've been doing all the things, right? I'm, I've been trying to plant churches. I've been trying to spread this gospel. God, the, Satan has buffeted me with a messenger and it, there's a thorn in my side. God, can you remove this for me? And God's like, hmm. you know what, Paul? In fact, let's just read it. Let me read what he said. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. Now, when you're going through the thick of an empty boat, of an empty time, 
and somebody tells you, well, you know, God says his grace is sufficient, you want to punch him in the face, <laughs> right? You're like, <laughs> but I need a healing. You, you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I actually need God to move and do something in my life. And, and, and it, it's a whole new revelation when you begin to understand the grace of God at work in your life despite an empty boat. It's difficult to see it. Because like Paul, we start to understand that although this can absolutely suck, the season that we're in, this time that we're in, the boat is not gonna stay empty. Can I encourage you with that today? The boat's not gonna stay empty. It may stay, it may be empty for, for a season. It may be empty for a night. It may be empty for a longer than you think it ought to be empty. But I wanna tell you there's a purpose and, and a drive behind it all. And that brings to my second quality, the quality of grace. So now speaking of grace, in the study of numerology, if you ever do in biblical numerology, the number five, it actually means grace. Five-year anniversary, grace. It means God's unmerited favor and power towards human beings, meaning we didn't deserve it. And yet God continues to pour out giftings, treasures, his presence, his power into our life. It's the grace, the, the things that we receive that we do not deserve. Now, Jesus came to the empty boat. He stepped in it. <laughs> I find this fascinating. Jesus could the reason that Jesus is on the scene here is he's about to call disciples into the ministry, right? About to say, hey, follow me. He's building his ministry. So he steps onto the scene. There's two empty boats sitting there. And you think, well, if that's your purpose, Jesus, you're just wanting to bring people into the fold. Why didn't you walk up to these discouraged and beaten down fishermen and say, hey, guys, it's gonna get better, follow me. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't do that at all. He doesn't notice the fisherman yet, he notices the empty boat. And he walks over to the empty boats and he steps inside of it. Come on, somebody. He steps inside the emptiness, the boat, and he begins to launch into the water and preach and teach the truth to the masses in their empty boats. Now, I, f I find that just amazing. Granted, it would have been difficult for Jesus to preach on a boatload of fish. It would have been slippery, right? He'd have fell down or something. So he uses an empty boat and he begins to preach the gospel to do something much greater. Now, if we apply that logic, that Jesus is not just gonna bring us what we want or give us what we're in need of at the moment, but instead he's gonna use our emptiness to do something much greater than we could have ever asked, thought, or imagined that he can step into our empty boats, into our situations, and do something beyond what we could have asked for. We're right in the thick and we're asking God, come on, do this, bring this healing, God. And he's saying, hold on a second, let me use this platform of emptiness and let me do something even bigger than you could have ever thought about. What if that is what God is doing in our lives right now? Maybe the empty boats are part of the prescription. You think, well, hold on a second. God's prescribing my emptiness. God's actually calling this into order that, that I'm not gonna be getting my healing, that I'm gonna have to wait and continue to just travail before God for my kids and to hope something breaks through God. And he's saying, hold on. This is a platform that's being built here. And I'm gonna step into that emptiness and I'm gonna do something more than what you're asking for. You see, God steps into our brokenness. He steps into our sin. 
He steps into our failure. He steps into our sicknesses. That's what grace looks like, friends. That's when it says, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, I know you want that thorn gone, but my grace, hold on. The unmerited favor is working, is at work for you right now. Hold on. And I'm going to do something better than removing that thorn. Hang out with me for just a second. This boat's going to stay empty for just a minute. You see, what grace does is it gives us the ability to know God better. I want to tell you something. In all my years of serving God, I have begun to shift my focus. I ask God for a lot of things. I go to him with my laundry list of needs. Sure, I start out the old Christian way. God, you're awesome. You're powerful. You're amazing. I love you. I worship you, God. You got to set the stage right in a biblical way. And then like, okay, let me tell you why I'm really here. And then we begin to pour out the prayers, right, of why, why, what we really need from God. I'm trying and working at this. So I'm a work in progress. But I'm trying to shift my focus to say, God, I just want to sit here with you. I just want to rest in your grace. I just want to be here with you because I know that if I'm in close proximity to you, all that other stuff, that's, that's going to come together for me. You're going to do something amazing in my life, but I'm going to focus just on this place of grace that I have with you right now. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So in other words, let's flip the script. Let's not come to him with our need. Let's come to him and find the grace. Enter with confidence or with boldness into his throne room. And he's offering at that throne space grace and more grace and grace upon grace. He's giving it out to us. And I believe, friends, if we can take this as our cycle of qualities in the church, we understand God is bringing us to this place of grace in close relationship with him. And then all of our needs begin to just follow suit behind that's what a walk of faith looks like. That's what I believe he wants to speak to the church today. Really getting to know your father. Notice I said your father, not Pastor Scott's father. Don't come here and try to get to know Stephanie's father. My father, your father. You know what? Nobody knows my dad like I know my dad. I don't know what your relationship is like with your earthly father. But one thing that I do know as a son, that nobody knows my dad like I know him, except my brothers. They do too, because they're part of the same family. And I believe that God is calling each of us to that kind of intimate personal relationship, drawing us in by his grace, saying, I want to know you more. I know what you need. I know your boat is empty, but I want to know you more. Going deeper with him. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says this, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Takes me to my third quality, the deep, the deep. I want to tell you, church, here's what God would speak in the letter to the church in Camden. Now, this is both on a congregational level and also on an individual level. Don't get stuck where you got unstuck. That's good. That's good. Don't get stuck there. 
A lot of times we find ourselves, oh, I found Jesus. Man, I had a great time in church today. My life is turned around. And then we find ourselves in this limitation in our mindset of what that actually looks like and what would be acceptable in your life. How do you press in deeper? How do you go out deeper into your faith? How do you continue to evolve and grow as a believer? And if you don't know Jesus and you're here with us today, maybe God is calling you to that place. Come on, come on out a little deeper. I've got something that I want to show you and it's deeper. But we can get stuck where we got unstuck. It's like this milestone, this marker in our life. Oh, I remember that day. I don't do that anymore. And then we never grow past that. And, and it can become a more establishment and tradition-based faith. And I, my letter, Jesus' letter to you today is don't do that, Freedom Church. I'm gonna show you a clip that illustrates a little bit what I'm talking about. gentlemen, what you've just seen is a clip from the movie Pitch Perfect. And it was interesting to me because this clip actually was what came to mind as I was preparing for this. And it just happened to include the word perfect. So I'm believing that God wanted to orchestrate that. Let me teach you what it taught me. The Barton Bellas are, are the group, the acapella group in this movie. And they are set, dead set on winning this collegiate championship but they do so in such a way that it is richly and deeply based in tradition. This is how the girls sing. This is the song they sing. This is the moves that they do. This is how they do it. And they hoped repeatedly that time after time that would somehow win them the prize. Now, Becca comes in and she says, well, hold on a second. I see this isn't working. You see the bored crowd, people checking their watches, people actually mocking them for what they're doing because they had found themselves to be now instead in acapella world where they're bringing excellence and they're bringing entertainment and value. Instead, they were simply bringing stale tradition. What I want to encourage each of you today is don't let that model your faith journey. Now, here's what I'm not teaching you. 
is to rebel against authority. That's not the message here. God has put leaders over you, and that's for a reason, and they're leading you to that place. What I'm talking about is your personal model of faith. See, we can set limits for ourselves and say, well, this is as far as I'll go because it's what I've always done and it's been acceptable. And we never allow ourselves to go to the next level, to go out a little bit deeper, to begin to understand that God wants to do something new in your life. He wants to reveal himself in a brand new way. And in order for us to do that, we're gonna have to break some molds. We're gonna have to press through a little bit of tradition. And maybe that tradition is something that we've created on our own. God never set those limits for you. But he's calling us to go into the deep that we can understand that he wants to do something brand new in our life. He wants to maybe refashion what we are walking in as we have become unstuck. Here's the reason I want to bring this point up. There's so many people that come to the church and after a short amount of time, they become disenfranchised, a little disheartened as to what church has to offer. But I believe that limitation is not on the church. It's on our own heart. It's, we're willing to go this far, but not any farther. And it becomes a point of contention where faith becomes stale. And we start considering, well, you know, the world wasn't that bad after all. Maybe I can kind of dabble in a little bit. And the next thing you know, you're so far from God, you don't even recognize yourself. That's the point of this message here is that we want to make sure as we launch out into the deep, it's an ever-growing relationship that we are developing with God because we are developing into the person he's created us to be. Don't let limitations, don't let tradition, don't let anything hold you back from what God has created you to be. Amen. Let me tell you something. You guys have a shirt, some merch out there that says, be effective, right? You guys wear that, you sport that, we have that. We're actually representing you guys out in California with that sweatshirt. But listen, be effective. That's a great church slogan, but let me tell you something. Being effective is not a community effort. Yeah. You can't be effective collectively. You can only be effective individually, which produces collective results. Yeah. And so my heart to you today is as you go out deeper and become uh, more encapsulated in what God is doing in your life, more in tune with what God is doing in your life, that that just becomes a movement, a natural movement of you saying yes to God, moving further and further out into the deep because he wants you to build that effective faith in your own personal walk. That is what makes Freedom Church effective. You can't just say, well, you know, Pastor Scott's got a lot of activities going on. We're effective. No. In fact, I'll say this, Pastor Scott can't preach a good enough sermon to keep you. The worship team cannot play well enough to keep you. There just can't be enough good life groups, small groups, activities in the church to keep you. It starts with you. And so this call to the deep is really a very personal and intimate call. You say, don't stay where I set you free, because there's more. There's much more that I wanna show you, and I can only show you this on an individual basis. And then ultimately, the church is gonna reflect that. You see, what does deeper look like? When preachers talk about going deeper, you know what the first thing a lot of people think, the audience, their reaction is, oh man, I gotta do more. 
I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to serve more. I got to do more. Whenever we hear about going, launching out into the deep, it's a good rah-rah sermon, right? But the, the practical implementation of that is that we got to do more. And we start, oh man, I'm already kind of doing a lot, you know, and I'm, I don't know, I'm just getting kind of burnt out. And that's the natural progression when we're just doing things. And so I want to challenge you with this. Don't do more. Be more. Be more. Well, what does that even look like? Well, our greatest, I believe this, our greatest gift to God is not the accomplishments, not the things that we do. Our greatest gift to God is who we are becoming. Who we're becoming. That's the gift. That's what God looks at and says, that's my boy or that's my girl. It's because of who we're becoming. Not all of the accolades or the trail of accomplishments that are behind us. It's, who, it's progressive, right? It's who we are becoming. He's like, come on, come on. Yes, yes, that's a good step. Mm, I love that one. Come. And it's who we're becoming that God is identifying with, and he is so proud of who we're becoming. I want to encourage you, church, become who God made you to be. And that's not accomplished by doing. It's accomplished by being. So what do you mean? Well, Maybe that means being kinder. Be more generous. Be more faithful in those moments, those decisions, those those hard decisions. Be more loving. Be more patient. Be more forgiving. Be more of those things. That's how we go out deeper into our relationship with God. Last point. We'll turn the corner and land here. The strong. The quality of the strong. In verse 10, the disciples were amazed at what Jesus had done. Like, oh my gosh, all those fish now in the boat. We were doing this all night, couldn't do anything. Now we got a boat, two boats full of fish. And they were amazed at it. But what was greater than the amazement of the miracle and what Jesus did on that boat was actually, it was then that they received their purpose, their greater calling. He was going to make their existence matter for more than just catching fish for a living. He was going to make their lives count. And I believe the most significant days in my life and in your life are the day we're born and the day we find out why. And so this is what Jesus instilled in these disciples in that it was more than about the miracle of fish. It was about what God wanted to accomplish through that miracle. And then he says something amazing. He says to the disciples, don't be afraid. It's a recurring theme throughout all of Scripture, Old and New Testament. Don't be afraid. Fear is one of the biggest obstacles to a church becoming effective and growing in their faith journey. It's fear. Fear, well, what are are people going to think? What about the people that I used to know that I used to hang out with? They're going to see this change in me. I'm afraid of what that's going to look like. They're going to reject me, and we start to shrink back a little bit. But he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to take you a quick little trip to an Old Testament story. And this is back in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 15. I'm going to read it really quick. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Here's that word again, those words. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, this is the prophet Elisha, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around 
Elisha. Let me just conclude with this. What we have is an Old Testament story of a servant, of a prophet. And this prophet was not popular because he was actually giving prophecies that worked against the king of Aram. And so the king of Aram found out where this prophet was. He sent his army of horses and chariots and he surrounded the city, Dothan, where they were. And the servant comes out and he's seeing this surrounding force, this opposition, this enemy. And he's saying, oh my goodness, we're done for. This is it. And Elisha the prophet comes out and he's like, you don't see that? Like, you don't see what's really out there? And then he tells the Lord, open his eyes. Let him, let him see what's really going on. And God opened the servant's eyes and he began to look around the enemy that was surrounding him. And what he saw was a larger encampment and army around them. But these horses and chariots were ablaze with fire, heavenly power. And I want you to have that imagery in your journey. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's not just saying, hey, suck it up. Use your own power. Come on, make it happen. He's saying, don't be afraid because I'm there. More are for you than those that are against you. As you journey forward, I'm there for you. And there's more of us than the enemies that you see, the fears that you see. There's more of us that are surrounding that fear. And I'm for you. I'm not against you. I am continuing to fight for you because this is my cause. It's what I've called you to. And God's saying, Freedom Church, don't be afraid because around the city of Camden, there is an army of ablaze chariots and horses that are there to defend and fight for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, church. 1 John 14 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, but the ones who fears is not made in perfect love. You know, it may feel like church in 2024 is irrelevant, kind of losing its power. I'm asking God to open our eyes. Let us see what he sees. I believe in a lot of our cultures, church just kind of seems not as meaningful, not as impactful as it once was. Faith just seems like, eh, it's kind of like what my parents did, but I don't know how to integrate it into my school, into my workplace, into my friends. I don't know how to marry the two. And God is saying, open your eyes. Because if you can see what he sees, there's an army that's fighting for you. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to live it out loud. Don't be afraid to be the minority voice. Don't be afraid to do something that no one else is doing right now because greater are those that are for you than those that are against you. Let me tell you what the perfect church is, and I'm closing with this. This is my third close. <laughs> a family. Let me tell you what a perfect church is. This is what a perfect church is. A family of individuals who are empty who have been found by God's grace, who are moving deeper into their faith practice and journey, and who are simply not afraid. That's a perfect church. That's why you, Freedom Church, are the perfect church. And God loves you. And God's fighting for you. I want to encourage you, man, this is just the beginning. The planting season for a church is five years. After the five years, you're planted. You're planted. 
That means the roots are starting to go deep. That means you're becoming immovable. And so the process has now taken its course. You're in the next season of life. You're planted. And I'm excited to be on this journey with you. I started out talking about the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, and I, I'm going <laughs> to close with this. Every one of those letters talks about what they're doing right, talks about what they're doing wrong. But at the end of all the letters, it ends with, to him who is victorious, to the church who overcomes. And then Jesus gives this amazing promise of eternal life with him. He says, we're all gonna be messy. This perfect church is gonna look a lot like what we just read on the boat. But to him who overcomes, Don't give up. Maybe some of you came here today and you're like, man, this is getting harder and harder, not easier. Maybe some of you today, you've had some crazy thoughts run through your head this week. And you're like, man, I need to get to church. I need like a brain washing, scrubbing. I need God to do something different because I'm, I'm all messed up inside here. To him who overcomes. Maybe you're here and you... Freedom Church be my home. There's an enemy that doesn't want this to be your home. To him who overcomes. To those of you that are, are hurting today because you feel like you've just been in an empty boat for years, can I encourage you with just the truth of this simple microcosm? Jesus is filling your boat. You don't see it yet, but he's filling it because he loves you and because he's called you to this. His grace is being poured out in such, in so many ways, we can't even detect them all. And he's just saying, don't be afraid. Man, I, I got this. If God says, I got this, do you believe him? Do you believe him when he says that? Or you're like, okay, well, God, I heard you, but I'm not seeing it. dispel the lies of the enemy right now that's trying to discourage and break down the church and say I'm going to be an overcomer not because I'm strong enough not because I'm good enough not because I'm perfect I'm going to overcome because I'm going to stand on what, what the currency of faith is all about and that's faith I'm going to stand on what Jesus said to be true and I'm going to implement it in my life in such a real way I want to go deeper I want to just go deeper from this moment I want to go deeper the next time we get together, next time I come out to Camden, I want to hear about your journey going deeper. And, just, and even if it's something that's just as simple as this, you know what, I'm just, I'm a kinder person than I was a year ago. I'm just kinder. And man, I just carried so much animosity with me and I'm just finding that I can forgive a little easier than I used to. To him who overcomes. That's what it looks like. It's those little particles, those little pieces that we become overcomers in that fills a much bigger picture. You say, ah, I think we're getting this. Freedom Church, you are the perfect church, and I'm 
asking God today to open your eyes to it. So with every eye, well, open your eyes. Close your eyes now. And I just want to speak to your hearts for just a second. Freedom Church, I, I want to pray a blessing over you. And I also want to give opportunity for anyone that, that feels like they need to do something right now. I guess we can figure that out, what it looks like in, in just a minute. But, but for now, I, I want to pray this blessing over the church and over you as individuals. And I want you to receive it in faith. Father, uh, you are the graceful Father. You are Daddy. Your word says, Lord, that how can we as fathers on this earth, being evil, give good gifts to our children who ask it of us? And the Holy Spirit, when it is desired, Lord, how much more so will the Father in heaven give? to those who ask. So today, I am asking for you to give your gift of grace, your gift of power, your gift of faith, your gift of resilience and staying power, overcoming power to the body here at Freedom Church. I want to pray this blessing, Lord, this blessing over them, God, that you would encapsulate their lives and their hearts in such a powerful and meaningful way that it would not just be folklore, it would not just be tradition, Lord, but it would be something real that they can tangibly put their heart and their minds around and live out a true walk of faith on a day-to-day, -day, God. I am praying that blessing over this church right now. God, I pray that there would be a canopy of protection over this church, that as the enemy shoots his fiery darts, Lord, trying to take out one by one each soul that has come to the family of believers, God, I pray protection over them. No weapon formed against them will prosper, but instead, God, your power will be manifest in each of their lives, taking them out into the deep, God, to become all that they have been created to be. And God, I want to speak to the lies of the enemy right now, those that are discouraged right now, those that are believing the lies, that are fearful right now, filled with anxiety and, and just being gripped, Lord, by the fear of this world and what might happen, what could happen. God, we break the chains right now in the name of Jesus, and we pray the Holy Spirit's power to set us free from the captivity and the bondage of the lies of the enemy. We lose freedom in this house, God. We lose the favor of God in this house. We lose grace in this house. We lose forgiveness and all that you have for them in their dreams and in their purpose, God. Give them their heart, God. Give them the heart to you, God. And I pray, Lord, lastly, just this, that every single one in this house, not as a group, every single one would take one step closer to knowing you this morning, just to be enveloped into the arms of grace into the arms of mercy, to be enveloped into an arms of love, unconditional love that's not based on our performance, but based on who we are becoming in you, God. I pray right now that the love of the Father would be poured out over this congregation right now, God. Let your love just lavish these people right now, God. Let your love and your grace and your mercy overflow in the hearts of these people, God, so that we can become overcomers and receive the prize, Lord, of a life with you. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. We bless you, we love you, and we give you all the highest praise and honor. 
And it's in the mighty and powerful name above all names, Jesus Christ, that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.